Across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pints. My wife's cakes are excelling at hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? Delicious. <laughs> Good afternoon, welcome to Flavour with Alan Alder, Sue Bailey and me, Matt Bentman. And in the week which brings great excitement to the local cafes, restaurants, pubs and Scotch egg businesses, we bring you plenty of good news. Yes, including details of what you can order from the Fish Butchery for home delivery this month. Meanwhile, lockdown has brought about the launch of some new food businesses. Today we speak with two of them. We also find out about the new menu at Gardenia. Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, is here with his December foraging tips. We've lots of local food and drink news too, and an abundance of local jobs at the end of the programme. And we have ideas for parsnips from Rosie Sykes, Alex Rushmer and Tina Roche too. First though, Sri Lankan food, the real authentic deal. It's available, in that lovely, modest way of many independents, one night a week at the Duck Pond in Barton. It has come into existence partly because of lockdown. Sue went to try it out and spoke with founder Kumara about why he set it up. This idea, me and my wife had it for so many years because we have been trying to get proper Sri Lankan food around in Cambridge. We didn't come across any Sri Lankan restaurants or anything. So we always wanted to have the proper Sri Lankan way of cooking and all that. So we thought for other people to try out some Sri Lankan cuisine this is the best way to do this so me and my wife and I got my mate called Danny on board to start up this business and we have we've started last Thursday it's going really good <laughs> we certainly came and tried some of your food last Thursday in Barton and at the moment you're sort of soft launching it but I gather you sold out is that right yes we have I mean on first day we were expecting around about 50 people and we have, uh, we have ended up serving 78 and we were totally run out and we had to let down few people afterwards <laughs> tell me more about Sri Lankan food what does it involve it was delicious by the way <laughs> we have like so many spices in Sri Lanka whereas um, when it comes to Indian curries and all that they, they only use few spices whereas Sri Lankans use so many spices like cinnamon cardamom cloves and pepper so I think it's it's a very distinct flavors we have in Sri Lankan cuisine it was spicy but not overly uh, overly hot spicy that's what I liked about it it had a real distinctive flavor so yes tell me more about the types of dishes you are making yeah, we'll be starting with chicken curry, which is based in uh, coconut cream. And uh, we'll do a dish called devil's pork, which is a stir-fried pork with peppers, onions and crushed chilies. We will have another dish called a tuna steak with rice, which uh, the tuna is uh, covered in black pepper, cloves and cardamom. And it is a very distinctive flavour, which never been in England as I know and we, we are doing a vegetarian vegan dish with cashew nut curry and soya chunks which will be I would, I would say for vegetarians and vegan to try out, try out and see. You also were serving homemade rotis. We are indeed we are making our own roti called godamba roti which is a specialized flatbread to Sri Lanka. And you also have the post office in Barton, so everyone knows you in Barton, which is rather nice. How did you find that people found out about you? We have been running this Barton post office for three years now, 
and everyone around here knows us really well and there are a few people who have been to Sri Lanka whenever they come and do their shopping and using the post office they keep asking why don't you start doing Sri Lankan curries which they have tried in Sri Lanka so that that was the idea behind all this as well and you've got this most beautiful converted red van tell me a bit more about that this is a red uh, horse box which we have converted into a food trailer in the future it won't be just Barton that are able to sample what you're making we are planning to expand this business and go around in Cambridge up to I would say to Peterborough as well but at the moment as you said you're sort of soft launching it and and it's Thursdays that you're just doing it isn't it I would say for the next two to three months we'll be based in Barton between five and eight and you're based by the duck pond yes we are just tell me a bit more about the name where did Kula come from Kula is a kind of a basic equipment which we use to get rid of the bad rice. Winnowing rice, yes. Winnowing rice, yes. It's also quite brave starting up a new enterprise in the middle of a pandemic. Have you got any comments on that? I think this is the best time to start this kind of a business because the pandemic, whereas people can't go out and go to a restaurant, I think to bring food like this way is... I would, I would say, yes, we have, we've done a really good business. I'm also speaking to Denny, who is Kamara's wife. Um, what happened was, when we first moved here, we were told the previous owners of the post office, the people who used to run it, did curries. So everybody's like, why wouldn't you do it? And we thought, when the time is right, so when the lockdown and everything happened, we thought this would be the right time to start because obviously a lot of people could go out to eat. So, Are you helping at all on the food side? Or it's actually almost made fresh to order, isn't it? It is. It is complete. I'm not, I'm not involved in this because with running the shop, the post office are looking after the kids. I don't think I could stretch myself anymore. So, <laughs> so it's just Chamara and another Sri Lankan, uh, Danny. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, it's their venture together. Mm-hmm. So he's a trained chef in Sri Lanka. So those two, it's their baby, not mine. But everything is made on the day, fresh. They try to make it as much as possible in the cart while the customer's waiting. There is a little bit of a wait, but wow, it's worth the wait. (laughs) You tried it? We tried it last Thursday. Yes, it's absolutely excellent. I think you'll be seeing us again this Thursday. Look forward to eating a lot more curries. Yes, it was very enjoyable. Kula's Sri Lankan kitchen is open every Thursday from 5 till 8pm at the Duck Pond in Baden. And you can find updates on Instagram at kula.srilankankitchen. On to our first news break now, beginning with Christmas goodie news. There's lots of people providing Christmas food, or food in the run-up to Christmas, and we've covered quite a few in recent editions of Flavour, but here are some that we haven't mentioned yet. Pint Shop has a very extensive Christmas home menu. Last orders are the 16th of December, and the minimum order is £50. Gourmandise is selling food vouchers. They're valid for one year. And Corinne also has a patisserie box for Christmas. It contains two tarts amandine and two chocolat opera gâteau, and it costs £12. And you can also get a box of 13 macarons for £13, or get both boxes for £23. You must collect on the 23rd of December, and they'll all last until the 25th of December. Order via email by noon on the 14th of December, the address is contact at gourmandise.co.uk. Cambridge Cookery and Bistro has Christmas goodies available. The food is frozen as soon as it is made. Order by the 10th of December and collect from the 17th to the 20th of December between 9 and 2pm. Details are on the Cambridge Cookery website. Biscotti di Debra is doing Christmas bakes, including a chocolate gâteau with rum, a festive Nutella and lemon gâteau wreath, and last orders can be collected from her bakery on the 24th of December. Order via the Biscotti di Debra website. Liz Young's The Modern Table has a Christmas and New Year brunch box, and there are lots of good things in it, like salmon pastrami, labneh with roasted pepper, walnut, harissa and parsley salsa, granola, roast fruit compote, etc, etc. And they're for two or four people, and the price starts at £50. You can contact her via Instagram. 
Fiona McDuff's chocolate treaty boxes are being dispatched once more before Christmas on the 21st of December, and details are on Instagram. Restaurant 22 in Chesterton Road is now taking bookings for February. The British Herb Kitchen, which we featured on Flavour last year, has a Christmas gift box available to order until the 14th of December. The gift box includes fennel and sea salt fudge, thyme and parmesan oat cakes and lemon verbena shortbread and it can be delivered to any UK address. There are lots of other products too and the website is britishherbkitchen.co.uk. La Latina Bustarante is now serving breakfast South American style and they have the full English option too. Served every day from 9 till 11am and you can find them upstairs at the Grafton in the food area. Harvest has opened in Mill Road. It's opposite the Sea Tree and Urban Larder, so that's on the Romsey side of Mill Road, just over the bridge. It's selling a wide variety of foods and says it hopes to get a bigger amount of local produce in the future. More news later, but now, what do you do if you take up a new chef job in February and when lockdown happens in March, you're not eligible for furlough, so you have no income? That's what happened to Angie, and here she is talking to Sue about what she did instead. I was working as a chef. I made a decision to change my job in February this year, which was, wasn't the best time to make any changes. So when the first lockdown was coming, I couldn't go to full low because I wasn't enough long for my new place. So I just suddenly left without job, without money, and I had to find out quickly something. And this is what I found out, to build a van, this was uh, made from scratch, so this was uh, made uh, with, by me and, my, and by my partner. So we, did, we did everything uh, ourselves, except the electricity. We started to make food from home, obviously with all the licenses and all the trainings. The, I decided to make homemade fru- food and sell homemade food from my van. So this is the story behind and uh, when the lockdown finished, the first lockdown I mean, and they called me to go back to my workplace, I had to say no. <laughs> Just because I started to enjoy this, I started to enjoy the, to see the smile on the, my customers' faces and I, I really enjoy to have regulars. I just didn't want to let down anybody. So I was keep, going, keep doing with this one and looks like it was a good decision because I'm still enjoy it and looks like my I have more and more regulars and more and more customers. And you do, as you said, home cooked food. So you do burgers, you do paninis, you do breakfast and lunch food. Tell me a bit more about the yes, type of food you do. Uh, at the Camborne Business Park, I do a couple of days in a week. I do their breakfast and lunch. I do fried eggs, bacon rolls, egg sausage muffins, toasties, paninis, just to start the day or run <laughs> run the day. At the moment it's not that busy, but I have regulars from Camborne as well, just to come and see me, say hello, and uh, lunchtime I do my burgers. So I do my beef burger, which one is homemade, with my secret recipe, <laughs> and I do my chicken burger, uh, which one is also homemade. Even the meat I mince myself, and I try to keep the good quality, so that's important for me to always buy the meat myself, check the meat, uh, and make the meatballs myself. And I have my chicken Milanese, new thing in the street food area. It's quite popular, especially because it's a big meal. It's a big, big portion. The only complaint what I heard about it, that it's too much. I think this is the best complaint for me. What does your chicken Milanese have in it? Sounds really delicious. Well, actually the chicken Milanese, it's a breaded chicken breast. Before I bread it, I soak it in milk and uh, with with some herbs like bay leaf and things like this. Uh, I don't want to tell all of the herbs. And after I bread it, but I bread it with parmesan. And this will be fried. And in a big meal, it comes with a big portion salad. And the salad it's, uh, comes with a really lovely fresh vegetables like artichoke or pepper pearls as well. And um, with some balsamic vinegar dressing. Comes with chips and two different sauces on the side and some fried onion rings on the top and some garlic breaded mushrooms. 
So it's really nice. It looks nice. And uh, just because I think the presentation uh, was so very important, this is how we eat first. I really enjoy to make this kind of dish. Also, one of the things you have got a real love for and create very beautifully, as I gather, desserts and cakes. Just tell me a little bit more about that and then tell me about how we can find out more about you. Originally, I'm a pastry chef. I was trained here in England. I learned everything here about pastries. I make the traditional English uh, desserts like brownie, rocky load, lemon drizzle, sticky toffee pudding with caramel sauce or the toffee apple pie with some custard. Just because I was a pastry chef and I really enjoy baking as well, so I thought that why not to have some desserts to be ready to serve my customers after their lunch or after their uh, dinner. I always offer some homemade dessert as well that I make it with a lot of chocolate and with a lot of love. Your Camborne in Exning, near to Grantchester. You also have a Facebook page that tells more yeah. about the types of things that you do, I believe. What is that called? My Facebook page is Angie's Kitchen, and I also have a website where uh, it's uh, possible to order online. And my customers really love that I don't uh, offer a, a strict afternoon tea. Everybody can go on my website and check that and make their own selection. So you can choose how many brownie you want, how many lemon drizzle, how many sausage roll. I make my sausage rolls myself as well. I have a bacon, onion, sage sausage roll. This one is the most popular and the tricolor cheese onion one for vegetarians. Christmas time I have turkey and cranberry sausage roll as well. Scones are very popular. If a customer calls me and want an afternoon tea selection, I just can tell that please go to my website and choose what you want. Make your own selection as you wish. One last question. You originally came from Hungary and you had quite a different career background. Just mention what you were doing there and how it's sort of a change and the ideas that that's given you of managing your own business. Originally, I'm a software engineer and I have two master degrees. <laughs> I am an, uh, like an engineer. These are never was my decisions, honestly. More was more uh, my parents' wish to have these universities. They wanted me to make sure that I will have a really nice future. But this never was my dream. I like to be connected with people, have a chat. This kind of job, like being a chef, or my other dream is being a gardener, to have my own veg or herb, own herbs. These are much closer for me. So when I decided to move to to the UK from Hungary, I just had a chance to do what I love to do. So this is my dream. So at the moment, I'm doing my dream. Oh well, Angie, I wish you all the best with your dream. Thank you so much. Uh, how very nice. Uh, that was Angie, and you can get next-day deliveries between 4 to 6 p.m. from her in Camborne, Papworth, Highfields, Hardwick, Caxton, Bourne, Hilton and uh, Eltersley. You can find Angie's webpage by putting Angie Camborne into your search engine. Cambridge Exotics is selling its variety box of exotic fruit at the reduced price of £30 in December. That's £10 off the usual price and it's available up until the 24th of December. Contact them via Instagram. And they're also popping up every Saturday now outside Malloy's at 29 Station Place in Cambridge from 10 until 5pm. Town & Gown Coffee has a coffee cab. It's moored outside Hills Road Sixth Form College and is open from Mondays to Wednesdays from 8 till 3 Thursdays to Saturdays, 8 till 8.30, as well as selling coffee, they've got mulled wine and boozy hot chocolate. Keiriko Tapas is delivering Friday night tapas meals. You can order until Wednesday at midnight for this Friday, the 4th of December. Delivery is to CB1 to CB5 and CB21 to CB24. Email keiriko at keirikotapas. Maurizio Dining Room in Mill Road is open in December from Monday to Saturday from 5 until 11pm. You can eat in, booking at your table at info at mauriziodining.com or collect from the pizza hatch or get a delivery. The Devonshire Arms is not reopening until at least the 16th of December because of the constraints of the current tiering system. Tobanco in Green Street isn't opening until the new year. 
The Queen's Head in Newton has some good Wednesday night street food vans. This Wednesday it's Caribbean soul food with flavours. And a week on Wednesday it's vibrant Middle Eastern food from the Wandering Yak. Tonight, Thirsty in Cheston Road has Cook's Nest providing the food. The Cambridge Juice Company has launched a new flavour, orange and clementine. In a can, it's the real deal, not made from concentrates. Putini's Italian Supper Club now allows you to choose any five dishes for £20. Email info at pudini.co.uk to place your order and they're doing a Christmas meal too. And finally, in this news section, Linton Kitchen reopens on Monday. Now, in our last edition, we featured the opening of the Fish Butchery in Mill Road, and that's happening in early spring. Today, we bring you news of its hamper, which launches in the coming week. And here is Richard Stokes with the details. We're going to start the, these hampers um, around about the 11th of, de- of December. So um, next week, uh, we're going to be curing our own sustainable sea trout. Um, we get some chalk stream trout from the River Test. We're going to make our own gravlax. And then fish soup, like a classic soup de poisson, um, which will be available every day uh, when we open as well. We serve with Rui. And then some seaweed mayonnaise. It'll be, it'll be a, 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 an eggless mayonnaise we're going to make um, with, with lots of seaweed. So it's going to be umami rich. We, we've been told to eat more and more seaweed. So we're going to do a little bit by, by making some seaweed mayo. Um, right, so are, are, there, are there suppliers of seaweed then, or do you have to go and pick your own? How do we order? after Christmas we're going to do something for New Year's Eve I say it's a, and, and then we might have a few more luxury items in, in the hamper box by then but we're not we decided not to do fresh fish deliveries until we get the shop open so it'll be just sort of deli goods in our hamper and that was Richard Stokes from the Fish Butchery Here's our reminder about Olio, which guides you to free food in Cambridge and South Cambridgeshire, all over the country. In fact, the Olio app is free to download. Yeah, some examples of what's been recently available are 500 grams of wholemeal rye flour, bread and vegetables from Tesco, also various salads, wraps and sandwiches from Pret-a-Manger. And there is another free app called Too Good To Go, and that offers unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. And rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home, rather than it being binned at the end of the day's trading. On it recently have been magic bags from Budgins in Arbury, Nisa in Cherry Hinton and Spa in Stapleford. Earlier, we spoke to two new food ventures in South Cambridgeshire and his one based in Cambridge that we featured a few editions ago. The Oyster Lab. It does oyster-based pop-ups. I spoke with Chef Henry about how well it's going and what their plans are for next year. The first few events that we've done 
couldn't be more proud about how how well they went. We got loads of great feedback from pretty much everyone. Yeah, we really set out, we accomplished what we set out to do, which was really good. And I gather you're revving up for December. Right, on the three events at the Senate booked in for in December, um, slightly different styles of what we were doing. We're actually doing a pairing with cocktails and sparkling wine. And then we are going to find a new model um, to try and bring something different to Cambridge. So we're doing a live music and oyster night at the Gonville Hotel. When's that going to be? The one that we've got at the Gonville is on the 17th of December. Again, like I say, we're just trying it out. And then comes the new year, it'll definitely be a lot more of a frequent event that we do at different establishments in Cambridge. And I gather that's with the founder of the Enchanted Cinema, am I right? It is indeed. So he's a very, very good friend of mine called Will, who but then is also now a huge passion for music. So he's just started a uh, company called Tangerine Dreams Music, which has been about for a while, but he's really looking to kind of elevate local music talent around Cambridge. Are things sold out yet? Sold out pretty much of everything in December, apart from at the moment, we have a few tables free on the 15th of December at the Senate Bistro. But apart from that, yeah, we're all sold out at the moment. And what about this a new event on the 17th? Yeah, I mean, that sold out within about 20 hours. The moment that went online, that was, that was all sold out, unfortunately. Wow, that's impressive. A lot, because, I mean, we were looking at what, what, what sort of... Were we going to put it online? Were we going to put an event bride? Da, da, da. But, um, yeah, it was amazing how quickly people showed some interest. Was that just via your Instagram then? Yeah, that's all via our, our Instagram. We just put up a few stories, put up a post, and as I say, within by the same time the day after, everything was gone. So other than the further music and food events, will you be still doing the Oyster events at the Senate Bistro? Yeah, so we will probably a bit less at the Senate next year, maybe once a month. Uh, that's still to be confirmed. But in terms of the, the model of and oyster and sparkling wine tastings, especially something we're going to be looking to um, amplify a bit more next year around Cambridge. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Excellent. Next year, we are really looking to, I think the main point that I was trying to do this year was just to get it out there, get a feel of it, see what people thought. Now we know it's gone down so well, we're going to really take it to the next level next year. We'll be at a few different hotels, we'll be doing weddings, we'll be doing private punts, we'll be doing private functions. So, yeah, next year's going to be a good one. Let's hope that COVID allows us to get back to a safe enjoyment again. Yeah, well, that's it. I think, you know, what's going on, it's, just, it's not a case of kind of, it's just a case of when, really, isn't it? So yes. as long as we're ready to bounce back, as soon as the restrictions are lifted, we'll be, you know. And that was Henry from the Oyster Lab. We'll be back after the break when, amongst other things, there will be the new menu from Gardenia, and Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, will be here with his December foraging tips. Cambridge 105 Radio. In 1960s Cambridge, you might have shopped at Joshua Taylor, gone roller skating at the Corn Exchange, and seen the Beatles perform live at the Regal Cinema. On Sunday mornings, John Gannon takes you back in time with hits and memories from the swinging decade. John Gannon's 60s scene, Sundays at 8am on the station that's live and local. Cambridge 105 Radio. Looking to buy a new home this summer but it feels out of reach? Think getting on the property ladder just isn't an option for you? Think again. New homes in Haverhill and Cottenham are available now with shared ownership with your mortgage deposit as low as from £4,000. The final two and three bedroom homes at Bower Place and Boyton Place also have exclusive incentive packages available worth over £2,500. With £1,000 shopping vouchers, £500 towards your solicitor's fees and three months rent free, book your viewing today to find out what's on offer. Reserve from just £99 and find your new home this summer. Think shared ownership, think complete moves. Visit complete-moves.co.uk or call 020-3640-7111 today. Terms and conditions apply. Need dropping off at work? Miss the bus and must make that urgent appointment? Need picking up after a night out with your mates? Panther Taxis is your Cambridge-based taxi firm with over 700 drivers, offering great rates and local knowledge, ensuring you make it quickly and safely to your destination. We don't inflate our prices at peak times, and all our drivers accept payments by cash or card. Book your taxi the easy way. Download our free Panther Taxis app through your app store and start booking your taxis on the go. Call Cambridge 715 715 or see panthertaxis.co.uk. Panther Taxis, your local quick, reliable and friendly taxi company in the city. 
Welcome back to Flavor. Now, we're going to check out a new menu by a long-established restaurant stroke takeaway that's in the very centre of town. And it's possible that you may not have noticed it. That's because it's down a little winding street and the place itself is, uh, well, I'll let the owner say. It's a small place, four floors. You have to have strong legs. <laughs> a small place, and it's called the Gardenia. A lot of people call it Gardis. Gardis. I could say it's a Greek restaurant, but it's an international restaurant with all the tastes. Yeah. And that's Vaz. My name is uh, Vasilios Anastasiou. The owner. I come from Greece. And he's intensely proud of what he does. I served people from every corner of the earth. I think I have served three generations, give and take. Grandfathers come with the grandkids. They eat the same food the grandfather was eating when he was young. This is very funny, you know. You can find the Gardenia right in the centre of town, just off the market square, down a little, slightly windy road called Rose Crescent. It is a funny little road, funny little road, to spend all my life, all my adult life, in Rose Crescent, in the centre of Cambridge. I feel lucky, you know, and I will have it forever. We're the shoe shop, and um, he's certainly a very big pull, and I... I gather he's got plenty of history in Cambridgeshire and certainly he's what we would call a destination shop and when he gets his his tables and chairs out the front here in in the sunshine it just brings another dimension to Rose Crescent it's just a little bit of interest and people sit there and they chat and uh, yeah it's it's good I think we benefit from definitely being there. Gardenia started 1904 it used to be in double N with the horses underneath, a small taverna in the first floor, and accommodation on top, like for people to sleep. Uh, 1930, it becomes blue, a takeaway restaurant again. Always been a takeaway restaurant. Uh, 47, 48, the Greeks come, they called it Gardenia, and always it was a restaurant and a takeaway. Gardenia was expensive place before my time was for rich students and professors. After I come, I want to open the doors to everybody. We have launched a new menu. We extend the vegan and the vegetarian menu. Fresh products. Demand for vegan food is tremendous. For the last 32 years, we accommodate vegetarians and vegans, not as a fashion, because our culture we used vegan food and vegetarian food, but uh, we didn't call it vegan or vegetarian. We used to call it food. So now we have to label. This is vegan, this is vegetarian. And you have to explain exactly how it's made. Well, in Gardenia, the vegan we change mostly is all fresh products. We make them in the premises with a lot of care and love because food needs that. The f- Fresh falafel, we make it here. When you order, we add butter beans, stuffed vine leaves with rice, baked aubergine. It's a lovely dish. You can have it with rice or with chips or with salad. The grilled vegetables, cosettes, aubergines, mushrooms, carrots, peppers. We grill them and put a splash of balsamic vinegar, which brings all the flavors up. We use a lot of herbs and spices. Also, people these days suffer from various illness of our times. For instance, diabetes is in a big rise. Because I'm diabetic myself, my food is free of sugar and a lot of salt. In order to give more taste, I add more spices and more herbs. We have our, our own sauces here, the hummus, with tahini, which is made here, and our spicy salsa, which is not not very spicy, to be honest, but when you mix them with the hummus and tahini, it gives a different flavor to the whole food. And it does make you feel better. You don't feel bloated. Also, we use a new pita bread, new in England, all the way from Greece, which is not so heavy, not full of yeast. It is very light, very puffy. We did all that to say to the people that were here for the vegan world, 
and the vegetarian world, we're here for them too, as we are for all the others. The demand for vegan, a lot of local people, they ask for it. There's a lot of vegan food in the shelves of the supermarkets, but this food is mass production. So how can you be a vegan with the, the philosophy of a vegan? Eight mass production stuff. I don't know, I don't know. But we put the effort here to make fresh vegan, like uh, falafel burger with hummus, fresh tomatoes, fresh onions, fresh lettuce, fresh spicy salsa. You cannot go wrong. It's tasty, it's, it's, it's a whole different level. And you don't have to be a vegan to eat vegan food. Because if the vegan food is no mass production, I think it's the best. I mean, I grew up in Greece. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we used to have vegan food. The only thing was no vegan was the feta cheese. Except Saturdays, we had fish or chicken, and Sunday, we had meat. So in these days, you could say we were flexitarians. I think in the future, a lot of people will be flexitarians, but the vegan food, properly made and fresh, I think is the best for your health, for our planet, for everything. When you enter gardenia, it's like you love it or you hate it. If you love it, you stay. That's it. That's what happened to me. I used to come here to work for part-time. We can say I fell in love, and I put all my effort to be here. Yeah. Sometimes in the past I regret it. We all do. We all do. We all do. But overall, now I'm older and more wise, come down a little bit. I think I was lucky to be in Rose Crescent, in Gardenia, all these years and to meet all these people. In the beginning, you call them strangers and after you call them friends. That's, that's, that's an achievement for me, regardless of anything else. Thank you very much. That was Vaz Anastasiou, the owner of the Gardenia at Number 2 Rose Crescent. They're just a minute's walk from the Market Square, open seven days a week, and he is very happy with his new vegan menu, which of course is available for delivery as well as pickup. They also have a new website, which is Gardis, G-A-R-D-I-S dot co dot UK, where you can check out their full menu. Some more news now. Steak and Honours vans are out and about today, Saturday. Even as we speak, one is at Experience Christmas in Bottisham until 2pm and also at Trumpington Meadows outside Sainsbury's again until 2pm. Tonight, there's a van at Munson Brewery in Gaisley from 5 until 8 and at Wild Sky Brewery in Linton also from 5 till 8. And this coming Friday, Gorilla Kitchen will be at Wild Sky Brewery. On the subject of beers, you might be interested to know what the biggest selling craft ales have been nationally this year. The top seller has been Camden's Hell's Lager, second is Brewdog Punk IPA, and third is Camden Pale Ale, fourth is Marston's Shipyard, and fifth is Beavertown Neck Oil. Well, the weather may be a bit bleak, and it was nice to see some snow yesterday, but there's still plenty of food to forage. Sue spoke with the foraging chef, Steve Thompson, who's also head chef at the Plough in Shepworth. What is the foraging plan for December, Steve? I gather you're just about to go to the woods. We are, yes, and I'm going out for absolutely none of what I'm about to talk about. <laughs> so what we've been looking for at the moment is mushrooms all year round. It's kind of one of the last ones of the main season, and it's uh, winter chanterelles or cantharellas tuberformis. And, yeah, they're what we know as kind of chanterelles. So you have your, there's quite a few different types, but chefing world, you kind of have your chanterelles and your chanterelles. So these are the yellow legs is another name for them. They're really small, aren't they? They are really small. This is basically it. It's, they're very hard to find. So once you find a patch, you're good. Keep going back. But they're really hard to see because they're quite small. They're brown on the caps and they're often hidden amongst the leaf litter. What you're looking for, really, you, you want a mixed woodland or coniferous. They like beech. And then you are, really, you're looking on moss and rotten logs. So how big is small? I mean, cap size, you're probably looking on average around about 10 pence piece. Oh, that is small then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and height-wise, you're probably, you're probably looking at a couple of inches. I think I have seen some little tiny ones, which hopefully are they. Are there, again, yeah. is there anything that you could muddle them with? As long as you do your research, not really, to be entirely honest. Other, other, other chanterelles, but again, as, as normal, you've got to do your research first because it will never fail to surprise me the things that people do get muddled up. 
Now, I like the way in which you give an indication of is this a beginner mushroom or is it a more advanced mushroom? So is this a beginner mushroom? Yes, I'd say it's a beginner mushroom, really. I mean, it's got four skills, which they're kind of more like little ridges in it. And, yeah, the legs, they're quite often got kind of like almost like it's two trouser legs stuck together. When you say legs, you mean the stem, what I think of as yes, the stem. stem. Yeah. yeah, so uh, legs with chanterelles, they're, they're always called, uh, one of their common names is called yellow legs. And it always makes me think, and it's kind of because they have a yellow stem, and as I said, quite a lot of them look like two legs stuck together. So they've almost, it's one stem, but it's got, got the fold through the middle of it, so it almost looks like two legs really close together. What else would you recommend? So now we've started having some frosts, and lockdown is coming to an end, it's about time to get to the coast, if you can. So, looking on the coast, because obviously it's the frosts aren't as heavy there. The salt, I think, in the air and things like that just make it different. So, really, at this time of year, we're looking at sea beets, Alexanders. They're going to be your staples that are really up. I mean, there's some other things like scurvy grass and wild fennel, which are all just shooting nicely. But, yeah, sea beets is wonderful. It's kind of, it's the ancestral to um, beetroot, spinach, chard, that kind of thing. What does it look like? Again, it looks kind of like... Well, it kind of looks like a spinach leaf combined with a beetroot leaf, basically, and it grows in... It's really, really common around the coast. It kind of grows out from one patch in the centre. I think I've seen it, yes, with slightly grey-coloured leaves. It's Yeah, they're greeny, and they're kind of, yeah, earthy greeny-grey, yeah. And flavour-wise, yeah, they're like an earthy spinach, basically. Salty, earthy spinach, they're absolutely lovely, but they're really good at this time of year. We can go collect them, and pestos, just wilted... You can eat them fresh, they're a nice little snack on a walk. Are they quite thick or are they quite thin leaves? They're quite thick, yeah. They've kind of got that kind of chardy quality to them that means they're kind of almost like double-layered almost. I think I know. That sounds like a good idea to go to the coast. It's a lovely one now, especially as we can all get out, as long as we're sensible and safe, then, yeah, head up there. What about sea buckthorn? Because I'm sure I've seen some sea buckthorn locally, that amazing bright orange berry. You probably have seen pyracantha locally. No, no, I know my pyracantha. and you know I think pyracantha, that's <laughs> I do know the difference. This had very sort of slightly spiny, greyish, almost like a yew leaf, but not, sort of slightly prickly, and bright orange, almost like a sort of quincy orange colour. Is that sea buckthorn? Sounds like it. I've not seen it this far over here, but that's great if it is. Ah, well, I can tell you where. So we shall chat off air. <laughs> Indeed we will. <laughs> Anything else that you would recommend? Yes, something we're going out for quite regularly at the moment is winter purslane, or miner's lettuce is another common name for it. And its proper name is Claytonia perfialata. It's a lovely little edible winter leaf. What does it look like? It's kind of almost little shield shapes. It grows quite close to the floor. You get it a lot more in spring as well. But it's another one that is just starting to come out now. And it's a wonderful source of vitamin C. It's got a lovely earthy, almost beetrooty flavour to it. A little bit sweet, but a really nice salad leaf. I mean, there are so many things. You were saying it's high in vitamin C. So these plants must have been eaten by people foraging for, for hundreds of years, really. I mean, I think this was quite big. Why, why its common name is Minus Lettuce, <laughs> I can't remember the story completely, but I'm sure it was something like in California, the mines in America, where they used to eat it to uh, ward off scurvy. Oh, that's really interesting. OK, I wonder if they did the same here. You would have thought so, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah, lots of things with vitamin C before we started to import things like oranges and everything. We would have got it from the rose hip. Indeed we would. Oh. Yeah, oh, excellent. Um, any any other recommendations? And the last one, at the moment, we're still finishing up a lot of things that we've been talking about. So a lot of the rose hips still, the slows just coming to an end. Hawthorns just coming to an end, but we're still just getting the last of that. But the last one I want to talk about is something that you need to get the landowner's permission to really forage. And it's Gwem Urbanum, or clove root, or Woodhaven's root. Woodhaven's? Oh, yeah. right. And we've touched on this before a couple of times, but not really properly. And the roots at this sort of time of year are wonderful. As the name clove root, one of the common names sounds, it, they taste like clove, and they're a really good substitute for that. Don't they have very pretty, in the spring, um, white, pinky-white flowers? They, they have lovely little yellow flowers. And ah, they get those little <laughs> seed heads on them that are like Velcro, that are almost like the burdock ones, but really small. But yeah. if you're a dog walker, you would have picked them out of your dog's belly quite a few times. <laughs> For a route, you have to have the landowner's permission. But if you know anyone with a little bit of wood, they are so common and everywhere. And they come up quite easily if you just pull them from the bottom, get close to the top of the route and pull them up. Then you just need to wash them off really well, give them a good dry. But as you say, you can't digging them up, isn't it? So that's why you have to ask for permission. Yes, exactly that. 
But I mean, I I can't. If you have a friend with a word, if there's no issue, and then I would have thought of saying yes. That sounds very nice, and the, the clothy idea sounds very Christmassy. Exactly that, and it's great in your mulled wine and things like that. Dried out syrups, anything like that. It's a wonderful way to keep it. Do that for Christmas time? We will be, yes. I'm not sure what we'll be doing this Christmas at the moment, but <laughs> certainly other Christmases we use clove root a lot. And I wish you very happy foraging this afternoon with Rowan. Oh, thank you very much, Steve. Take care. <laughs> not at all. If you haven't tried any of Steve's dishes that use some forage ingredients, do take a look at the menu on the Plough in Shepra's website and you'll find them available there. If you're buying your vegetables rather than foraging them, you'll find a lot of parsnips about. Here are local chefs Rosie Sykes, Alex Rushmer and Tina Roche with ideas for parsnips and it turns out that they have an affinity for coconut oil. I just love all the winter roots. I think autumn, winter is a, is a lovely, exciting time, very different from summer. But I think parsnip and nuts go really well together. Parsnips and goat's cheese are wonderful together. But I created this recipe just to do something slightly different, and it's a cake. So it's almost like a carrot cake, but instead of carrot, you use grated parsnip. And there's an interesting flavour profile in parsnip, which is quite close to coconut so this cake I created is made with instead of butter I use coconut oil so a simple creaming method instead of butter use uh, coconut oil I cream that with some brown sugar and then make a very basic cake with some flour and eggs just look up a carrot cake recipe and instead of butter use coconut oil and grated parsnip and it's really interesting how well they go together Mm -hmm. they really really go well together So that is a lovely cake. It's got a little bit of cinnamon in it. So it's a lovely warm autumnal cake. And I've even served it warm as a pudding with some creme fraiche. Parsnip is a a fantastic root vegetable. It's one of those things that people don't fully appreciate, I think, how sweet it is. Uh, Until we started making sugar or importing sugar into this country, parsnip was actually used incredibly often in, in sweet preparations because it has a very high natural sugar content. There's a, a restaurant near Bury St Edmunds called Tuddenham Mill where they make an amazing parsnip dessert, a parsnip cake with roasted parsnips, uh, which is which is fantastic, really good with, um, with salted caramel and toffee flavours. For a more savoury preparation, I used to make, and still do, it's one of my Christmas, Christmas recipes, a parsnip soup. So very, very simple parsnip soup, lots of, uh, lots of butter, lots of cream. So it's very rich, it's very decadent. But instead of, instead of finishing it with, with cream or butter after it's been cooked and blended, a little bit of white chocolate uh, is very, very good with parsnip, just to enrich it, just to bring a little bit of sweetness. And that cocoa butter and the parsnip works really, really well together. Right, you say just a little bit, because you can overdo chocolate, can't you? You know, people add chocolate to stews in a sort of South American style. Mm. It's easily overdone. Uh, so do you have to be very cautious or yeah, is you do. And, more forgiving? Uh, you're absolutely right. You've, you have to be very careful adding white chocolate, more careful than if you're adding dark chocolate, which has a natural bitterness. There's no cocoa at all in white chocolate, much more naturally sweet so just add one or two buttons at a time and then when you get that richness when you get that sweetness just beginning to come through that's the point at which you should probably stop and not add any more tina any recipes for parsnips so many but i just think you know at the end of the day if i could only choose one for the rest of my life i just still think as an accompaniment to any any roast i mean particularly you know we think of it perhaps as an accompaniment to turkey but you know any roast bird and just roasting it with a bit of molasses honey you know any kind of liquid sugar it is just so good and as a leftover I think the thing is they are so good that I always find no matter how much I make of it there are never any leftovers because people go oh I'll just have that last piece particularly when you have a a lovely caramelized bit end bit to it but if you do make enough to have cold leftovers they make a stunning salad the next day with things like pomegranate seeds on top. Um, and you can put a bit of raw Brussels sprouts in there as well. So just shave with a sharp knife or a shave, like a mandolin. But this combination of very modest sort of ingredients make a really, really cracking salad. So having leftover roast parsnips is just a delight, I think. Right. 
When roasting, there's a, there's a dispute in our house as to whether you parboil them and then roast them, or whether you roast them entirely. Mm. Have, you, have you a view on that? Yeah, uh, I, I know exactly why you're having that debate. I, I think that we're so used here, I think, to thinking of our roast potatoes, which we are very, very sort of uh, unique in making. You know, no other European country makes them like that. It would be roasted from cold, and you get a very different result. So I think partly is that we kind of think, well, parboiling has got to lead to something good. And, and it, it does, but I actually think that usually you don't want to spend too much time perhaps cooking, you've got enough you know, stuff to do with other things. I think they cook just as well, roast just as well. As long as you have some kind of emollient you know, with it, I, th- I think they're just as good roasted raw. Don't even need to peel them, in my opinion, particularly mm-hmm. if they're organic, just chuck them in. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, that does all sound very good. Thanks to Rosie Sykes, Alex Rushmer and Tina Roche. And that is Booker T and the MGs with Green Onions signalling the start of our jobs section. Las Iguanas is looking for a commie chef. Pay is £11 per hour. A junior sous chef is needed at Hotel du Vin in Trobington Street. Bill's in Green Street is looking for a chef. Pizza Express in Regent Street needs a pizza chef. A pizza chef is also needed by Charlie's Coffee Company in Burley Street. Wildwood in Bridge Street needs a commie chef. Cambridge Brew House in King Street needs a chef de partie. And finally for today, the dog and duck in Linton is looking for a sous chef. Pop in to ask about any of those positions or check them out on the company's website. And there's our outro music, signalling that that is all the time we have for today. Don't forget, we are here on Alternate Saturdays at 12pm, repeated on Sundays at 2pm, and then again on Mondays at 6pm. There's also a podcast which will be available early next week. Coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio, today at 1pm is Ollie Slack with the Cambridgeshire Football Show, and at 2 o'clock it's Women Making Waves with Linda Ness and Susie Thorpe. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 19th of December, but until then, goodbye. 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 Goodbye.